Y'all didn't see that ending coming, did you? But get your burning bush. But how many of you have tried to hear from God by emulating something you read in Scripture? Like a burning bush. Or like, um, I don't know, I've never tried the burning bush. Anybody else tried that one? No. Well, we're in this series called Soul Detox, and um, we've looked at the restless soul, the heavy soul. Today, we're going to look at the tortured soul. Um, how many of y'all were bullied when you were a kid? Somebody, somebody picked on you. There was a kid that lived a couple of houses away from me, and he beat me up all the time. He was a year, actually, he was two years older than me, only one grade older than me because he was kind of challenged, uh, not really. He just, he just didn't like school. He was just mean. And um, it was weird because sometimes he would be my friend, most of the time he wouldn't, and then if he got mad at me, he'd just beat me up. And I was a nice kid. I never wanted to get in trouble. I, kn- I was told I wasn't supposed to fight. And so he would start to fight with me, and I would run home. And this is this the way I, I figured out I was faster than him. And, you know, the fight or flight, if you're faster than somebody, why? have to fight. And so I just ran away. And so I just would always run away from this guy. Well, my brothers are 14 and 12 years older than me. And they didn't like the idea that I ran away from this neighborhood bully. And so I just didn't tell them. I mean, because they were like, you need to fight him. I'm like, you need to fight him, sucker. And so I, I would run home and I would hide. But one day my brother, who's 14 years older than me, I was six or seven at the time. So he would have been 20, 21. He was college age. I come running in the house and I'm almost in tears, but man, I got away from him. And I run into my mom's bedroom and I hide in between the dresser and the, 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 uh, uh, bed and and I don't think anybody notices me. Well, here comes my loving older brother, oldest brother Larry. Larry says, "What's wrong?" And I'm like, "Nothing." <laughs> I'm almost crying, you know, because this this was close. I just barely escaped this day, and so I'm I'm sitting there. And... All right, maybe we work now. Um, so I'm sitting there, and, and he goes, "You're going to tell me what's going on?" And so I said, I, "I'm not going to call his name," but he said, uh, "I said he's chasing me," and he goes. It's time you fought him. I'm like, no, I am fighting a dude. So he goes and tells my other brother, who's 12 years older than me, and, and my two loving older brothers pick my little hind end up and carry me out in, and they start hollering for the kid. So, I mean, he's, he's a tough little kid. He's a tough little snot. So he comes and shows up, and, and uh, my brothers won't let me leave. I'm trying to run, and they, won't let, they keep pushing me in there. And he has beaten the dog out of me, and my brothers won't let me run. And I, all of a sudden, I went Ralphie from Christmas Story. I'm not... <laughs> I am not kidding. Now, I didn't do the words because I didn't even know the words, you know. Um, I said Schlitz one time, and I got a whipping for that because my parents misunderstood me. Because I was repeating a commercial. I didn't know what was going on. But anyway, I didn't know those words, but I lost my ever-loving mind. I thought, I'm not getting out of this. I might as well do something. So I started swinging. Blood started flying off that kid. Snot was going everywhere. And my brothers wouldn't let him leave. They were catching him, bringing him back in. And it was awesome! He quit torturing me that day, and that was awesome. How many of you have ever been tortured? Now, we normally think of, of physical, but we're going to talk some, some more. But how many of you were, somebody tortured you in some way, maybe not beating you up. My brothers were too much older than me, so they couldn't beat me up. So they would tickle me until I peed myself. And they thought this was funny. Until I got close to them, I was like, dude, if you're going to do that, I'm just going to share it with you. And then they quit, you know. My mom used to torture me by giving me the silent treatment. What she didn't realize, the older I got, the less torture that was. I kind of made her mad on purpose just so she wouldn't talk to me. You know? And so we've all, we've all had somebody do something to us that made us feel uncomfortable or, or relentlessly attack us in some way. And how did that make you feel? Somebody tell me, when somebody bullied you or, or, or tortured you in some way, how did that make you feel? Worthless, helpless, 
Yeah, you, you didn't feel good about yourself at all, did you? So we've, we've all been tortured, and we usually think about physical stuff, but I want to talk to you today about a torture that's actually worse. It's the spiritual torture of your soul. And, and we're going to look at um, specifically um, this statement that we've been going back to over and over again in this series. We're not a body with a soul. We're a what? A soul with a body, and this is significant. Because when your body dies, you don't quit existing. You live somewhere, either a place called heaven, if the Bible is true, a place uh, called hell, if the Bible is true. Um, you live someplace when your body stops existing. It's the hope that I have that I get to see my parents and my sister again someday that carries me through difficult times. Mom's birthday's coming up uh, March 1st, and, and that'll be a, a difficult time just because, I mean, I don't sit around and cry all the time because I know I'm going to see them again, and I believe that Scripture is true. So, so when your body dies, your soul exists somewhere. And, and the reason, that's the reason Jesus asked this question in Mark eight thirty six. He says, how does a man benefit if he gains the whole world and loses his, what is it possible to lose? Your soul in the process. <sighs> have you ever been around people, and, I, and I'm assuming you have, that look really good on the inside, uh, outside, but you know they're tortured on the inside? You've been around people like that? I mean, in America, I think it's rampant. People that put on the facade and pretend that everything is going great when we know that it's really not. If you're a Christ follower, you may be able to identify with Paul in, in uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 15, when he said, I don't really understand myself for what I do, what I want, what I want to, for I want to do what is right. I can read. I just can't prove it to you right now. But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. There's this internal battle that's going on where, where he knows he should be doing something, but he's not doing the right thing. He's doing the wrong thing, and it's torturing his soul. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but, but have you ever done something you knew was a sin, you knew it was wrong, you felt bad, and then you went to God and you said, God, I promise I'll never, ever do it again in this lifetime. Anybody done that? And then what happens? We do it again, and it's just this torture of our souls. We're plagued with guilt, and we carry this, this unbelievable conviction with us. And many times we, we cover it up, and we don't want anybody else to know. And we come to church. How you doing? Oh, I'm great, brother. God is good all the time. And on the inside, you're really just faking it. And people closest to you know that you're faking it. Inwardly, your soul is tortured. In 1 Peter 2, 11, Peter says this, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. What does that mean? This world is not our home. He's saying if you have a pulse, if you're breathing, if you're alive, this world is not your home. You are a temporary resident and a foreigner. When we go to Haiti, it's real obvious that we're foreigners because we don't speak the language. And, and the kids laugh at us. They'll try to talk to us. It's real obvious. I don't think it's very obvious that Christians live as foreigners in this land. We're, we're attached to it, aren't we? It's why we're so shaken up when people die. Peter says this is a temporary deal here, and we need to prepare for something else. But look what he says. Um, as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very what? Worldly desires actually attack your soul. And, and it's a big deal because this is going to wage war. And, and so I want to focus today on two specific things, two ways that our souls are tortured. Number one, our souls are tortured by the sinful things that we've done. 
Now, we just can't get around this. Um, there, are certain, there are certain preachers that don't talk about sin. Sin's in the Bible. We've got to talk about sin because the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we've got to talk about sin. And, and we do things that break the heart of God and we suffer the consequences. And we do that, we carry guilt and conviction in our souls. And... Um, and especially we're tortured when we have unconfessed sin, when we try to hide it. And, and look what uh, David said in Psalm 38, 3 and 4. He said, no healthy spot is left on my body because of your rage. He's talking to God. And in this psalm, he's, he talks about the suffering that he has from sin. And he talks about the loneliness of sin. And then he talks about at the end of this psalm, he says, but there's a confession that brings healing. We'll get to that in just a minute. But here, look what he says. No healthy spot is left on my body because of your rage. There is no peace in my bones because of my what? Sin. My guilt has, everybody say this out loud, my guilt has done what? Overwhelmed me. Like a heavy load, it is more than I can bear. Have you ever been burdened by your own sin? Just like this heaviness where you cannot, you can't even function because you know you are a sinner. Many of you, that's how you felt when you first came to Christ. Many of you have come back to Christ, and it's been a, a situation where you've recognized that you've been far from God. You've disappointed your Heavenly Father, and you want to come back. You've just felt this heaviness, this burden of sin. When uh, Janie and I first moved to Palestine, um, we, I mean, God worked all of this stuff out where we got to buy a house that was being built. And um, in, the, in the midst of this whole process, we, uh, we had a, Caleb was five months old. And so, and so that we wouldn't have to uh, rent places for a couple of months while our, while our house was being finished, people would let us house sit for however long they were going to be gone on vacation. So for three months, we moved around every week or two weeks, however long vacations were, we would pack up Caleb and all of his junk and, and moving day, we were not happy people. We didn't talk to each other, you know, we might, we might pat Caleb, but occasionally, hmm, it's okay. And, and we just, would move into another place. Well, as we were nearing the time to close on our house, we went and, and the contractor was there and he was working and um, we noticed some mistakes and, and some pretty significant mistakes. And, and so I talked to him about it and I said, hey man, um, did you do this work? And I knew he did. I said, did you do this work? And he said, yeah. And I said, it's not, it's not acceptable. And he goes, well, tough. And I said, excuse me? And he goes, I'm not redoing it. Well, I, I, I got mad. And he knew I got mad. And, and I, don't, I don't cuss when I get mad. I don't do that, but, but I'm pretty intense when I get mad. Looks like I might explode sometimes. Um, and, and so I left, and we had a meeting. We almost didn't buy the house. We had a meeting with the realtors. We all came, and everybody's looking at the same thing. And, and I mean, everybody's going, yeah, it's not the greatest deal. And he's going, I'm not changing it. You take it as is or not. And, and we almost didn't buy this house because I was so upset with his attitude. And I went to church that Sunday, and part of my job was to stand up front. We don't do an altar call here. We do things where, you know, you write on the back of the card. But I was in the Baptist church where every Sunday you sang 800 uh, verses of just as I am, whether anybody came or not. And, uh, you know, some people came because they felt sorry for us lonely pastors up at front, you know. And, I mean... I actually had some smart friends that come up and they said, man, I just felt sorry for you. I'm going back to my seat, you know. And uh, so I was standing up there and my pastor was, was having the invitation, inviting people to come forward. And, and he, had, he had preached this sermon where he said, God wants to reach people who know you. And he's talking about our church and this vision for our church and how we're supposed to reach people outside the, the community of Christ. And, and he said, 
Satan does not want that to happen. So what he's going to do is he's going to use you as a barrier to keep a lost person from coming to Christ. And then he said it even more forcefully. He said he's going to use you to cause someone to go to hell. And he said, don't you dare be that person. Well, I'm sitting on the second row because I sat up there with all the teenagers and and, uh, I thought I was going to throw up. Because I had this guy that was far from God that that was building our house. And and so I go forward and I thought, there's no way I can't stand up in front of people. I can't pretend that this is going on because God, when God messes me up, I just, I think I'm going to throw up. And so I went straight to my pastor and I'm like, dude, I can't, I can't stand up today. I said, because I'm, I'm the stumbling block that's going to cause people to go to hell because of my attitude. And so I prayed with him and, and I went and sat down. I couldn't, I couldn't stand up in front of people. And so uh, when church is over, Janie and I go to the nursery and we pick up Caleb and we go get in our hot rod Dodge minivan, maroon. Um, man, that makes you feel studly when you're driving that around. It's another reason you need to say it, Casey, because I used to drive a van. Um, but we get in the van and Janie says, what's wrong with you? And I said, I said, I got to go talk to the contractor. We didn't have cell phones back then. So we drove over to the house, the house that we live in now. And sure enough, he was working. And, and I walked in, man, there was some tension because I defended him, he defended me. And I walked in and, and Janie had to come with me because it was, you know, it was hot. It was in August and, you know, she had a baby, eight month old baby at this time. And so she comes in the house and she just, she hates confrontation. You talk about wanting to throw up. So she's over here hiding. And I just walked in. I said, dude. I was wrong. And, and I sinned against you by the way I acted. And I said, I need to know, will you forgive me? And just this, this look came over him and he goes, of course I will. Shook my hand. We ended up being good friends. And, and many times if he had questions about the Bible, he would call me up. He, he tried to stump me. He had this, this idea that he could just stump anybody. And he would, I'd say, if I don't know that, I'll find it. We had great discussions about this. And so this weight was lifted off of me. So we go back and we get in the van. We're about, to, we're about to drive off. And Janie's just staring at me. You know, I'm in my van and I'm studly. And, and, uh, and I look over and, and she's just staring at me. And I said, what? God is my witness. She said, that's the sexiest thing I've ever seen. I went, really? I'm just going to tell you, man. I just got to lay it out there. I've gotten more sex from being honest and humble than anything else in, in my life. And nobody ever told me that before I got married, dude. You newlyweds, or you're about to be, be honest and humble, hot dog. God is good. I know my, my daughters are puking on the front row, but I told them, I said, if I hadn't had a sparkle in my eye, you wouldn't even be here, so get over it. You just need to get over that right now. Dude, I got all into that. I don't even know where I am. Oh, there we go. (laughs) The thing is, a lot of us are carrying around sin. And instead of being honest and open and confessing that sin, you're carrying around and it's torturing you. And you don't want anybody to know that. And so you're being attacked relentlessly by your enemy, the devil. And, um, And I just want you to know that as long as you carry that that unconfessed sin, it's going to eat you alive. And Scripture is very clear about this. And, and see, in, in our church, if our church is typical, 
and, and I don't know, I don't, we're not normal, but, but if statistics are true, about 50 to 60% of the men in this congregation struggle with lust. And, and, and you know what's crazy to me? This didn't used to be the case, but in the last few studies they've done, 30 to 40% of women struggle with lust, and they're looking at stuff on a regular basis that they shouldn't be looking at, and they have this secret sin, and they know if it gets out, it's going to hurt their marriage, or it'll hurt their reputation, and they're carrying it around, this heavy burden that doesn't have to weigh them down, but it is, because they won't tell anyone. Others are living a lie, you've, you've told some lies, or you've, you've cheated somebody out of some money, and, and you're trying to hide that because you don't want anybody to know that you're messed up. Some of you, some, we, we joke about shopping and spending money, but some of you are addicted to it. I know some people that are addicted to spending money. They spend and spend and spend because their souls are empty, and then they feel guilty about uh, spending, and then they lie about their spending. Um, there's, there's folks that, that struggle with eating and, and some of you, you feel guilty when you overeat and, and, and I'm not casting judgment on anybody, but there's even some people that at, once they overeat, then they go and they purge themselves. They go and they throw up and then that causes more guilt and more shame. We're a society that thinks you have to carry things around and it is killing us from the inside out. Others, it's an addiction where you smoke something or you drink something or you pop something. The next thing you know, you can't stop. And we're just addicted to stuff because our souls are messed up. And so sinful acts that we do are causing us to be tortured. There's a second thing that causes us to be tortured. It's the lies that we believe. We have a spiritual enemy. His name is Satan. And I want you to see what Jesus said about your enemy, my enemy. He, Satan, was the murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the what? Truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he is, he, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. His native language is lying. And the only way he can torture our souls is if we believe the garbage that he's feeding us. Let me give you an example. He tells you if anybody knows your secret, they'll reject you. He tells you nobody is like you. You're the only one that struggles with this problem. Um, he says... He tries to connect what you did with who you are. He says, if you failed at this, you're a failure. He says, if you're connected with this sin, that's who you are. And he tries to, get, to pull you down by your past. And, and we believe his lies. And, and sometimes we think, oh, I just keep doing it over and over again. And I'm used goods and nobody can love me. And so I might as well just keep on doing what I've always been doing. And he wins. And, and, and you think you start to believe, I've got to carry this secret to the grave. What you don't realize is that secret is actually carrying you to the grave, slowly but surely. And it's destroying who God made you to be. What do you do when you realize that your soul is tortured? When, when the enemy says, don't tell anyone, they'll never love you if you tell them, you got to preach. We talked last week about preaching to your souls because you can't be here all the time. You can't always know where Scripture is. If you're working, you need to preach to your souls. Here's what you need to tell your soul. The first thing, it's better to confess your sins than to hide your sins. It is always better to tell the truth. And let me show you where we, where we get that from. Proverbs 28, 13. Look what it says. People who conceal their sin will not what? Prosper. How many of you want to prosper? If you want to prosper, the Bible says if you're hiding sin, you will not. Because God doesn't bless people who hide sin. But if they confess, everyone say confess. confess. And do what? 
turn from their sins. So say, confess and turn from your sins. You will receive mercy and grace and forgiveness. It's kind of like food poisoning. Any of y'all ever gotten food poisoning? What happens whenever the poison hits your system? Your system says, not in here, right? And, and every opening in your body starts spewing something. And some of you are going, hey, that's gross. You know it's true. Because you ever had to do the reversal thing? Because it's, it's coming out everywhere. I got so sick one time that I threw up corn out my nose. And I remember as I'm blowing corn out my nose, seriously, there's, and, it's, and I'm thinking, dude, I'm looking at it in the toilet and I'm going, I have got to chew better because that wouldn't have hurt, I'm serious, that wouldn't have hurt nearly as badly if I would chew and taste my food. And, and I was so sick that I thought I was going to die and then it got worse. And then I was afraid I wouldn't die. I was just, everything was exploding on me. Unconfessed sin is like food poisoning to your soul. And it's making you sick. And some of you are so sick and you've just accepted it as normal. And you don't have to be that way. Your heavenly father has, has a plan for you. You don't have to do that. Um, so there's a couple of things, a couple of ways that you need to confess. Because don't you ever underestimate your enemy's power to make you sick. You believe his lies, it makes you sick. So you confess two ways. And a lot of you are good at the first one, and, and most of you, I'm willing to bet most of you in this room, have never done the second one. The first is you confess to God for forgiveness of sins. That is just straight out of Scripture. Many of you memorize this verse, one of the first verses I memorized years ago, 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. The New Living Translation says, how did you learn it? Cleanse us from all what? unrighteousness. Anything that is not right, God will wipe it out and cleanse us if we admit it. Confession is just admitting that I did wrong. God already knows it. When you're a parent and you see your kid do something wrong, don't you just, don't you just want them to admit they've done wrong? You already know it. And it's just such a relief when they finally say, I messed up. And you're like, okay, now we can get somewhere. That's what your heavenly father says. And he, and, but he goes further. Not only are your sins forgiven, in his mind, they're forgotten. He cast them into this sea of forgetfulness. It's kind of like an etch-a-sketch. Anybody know what an etch-a-sketch is? I want to see somebody draw that on an etch-a-sketch. Other than Elf, you know, he's one of my favorite movies, is Elf. Um, etch-a-sketch is a computer for rednecks, <laughs> right? I mean, you know it is. You just kind of squiggle some stuff, and then you, what do you do? You shake it, and it goes away, right? That's what God does to your sin. Now, he doesn't wipe out the consequences. And when you come back to God and you've confessed a sin, you say, God, remember that sin? There was a song years ago. That was, and the name of the song was, What Sin? And, and this guy says, God, do you remember? And, and God says, What sin? The moment you confessed, I wiped it out and I've forgotten. You are not that sin because I cleansed you from that unrighteousness. So you confess to God to get forgiveness. And some of you are like, Oh, no, I can't do that. You need to confess and let God deal with it and let it go. You are not defined by who you were in the past. One of my favorite things that Tammy said uh, in her baptism video is, I don't have to wear the label anymore. My new label is child of God. Jamie's going to be baptized today in just a little bit. And, and one of the things she and I have talked about is she doesn't have to be defined by her past. You have a new label. So you confess to God. But some of you have done that. For forgiveness of sins. That's the only one who can forgive your sins. But there's a second thing most of us have not done. That's why we're in, stuck in a cycle of sin. And it's confessed to people for healing. And, and some of you are going, mm-mm, I ain't doing that. 
then you'll just continue to get sicker. The half-brother of Jesus in, in James in, in chapter 5, verse 16 says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Anytime I hear somebody say, I've never told anyone this before, in my spirit, I kind of rejoice because I think we're about to have some healing. And I'm going to tell you, the last two weeks in my small group has been some of the most holy moments I've ever seen. And it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with people in our group opening up and sharing who they were and sharing their fears and sharing the negative thoughts that bounce around in their heads. And everyone, this happened one night. As, as we're going around, some ladies started sharing, and then this lady shared, and this lady shared, and it kind of was contagious. And I'm just going, wow, check this out. And, and all of them started connecting with one another, and they realized, I'm not the only one who has these things. And you know what? I tell you this, but, but I, don't, I don't think some of you believe me. When somebody tells us a secret, not a person in that room runs away screaming, Get away! No, we don't do that. When somebody opens up, we are drawn to them and we love them more. It's just this supernatural thing that happens. And your enemy says, nobody's going to love you. He is lying to you. Because the more you're open and honest, the more people are going to be drawn to you. I'm just telling you, it's the way it is. And so you need to be ready to confess to others. Um, it's one of the most significant things for me in the body of Christ. More significant than my preaching, than my studying. It's hanging out with people in somebody's living room, sharing God's word, sharing life. I mean, last week we just stopped in the middle of our, our uh, small group because we needed to pray for something. And it was a holy moment as we just started bearing one another's burdens in prayer. And, and we want you to, to be involved in that. And anytime I've walked through a confession of something significant with somebody, almost, almost every time at the end of that, they'll say something like this. Not the exact words. They'll say, when I shared with you or whoever, they'll say, when I shared, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And it was one of the greatest things I've ever done because my burden was lifted. And in our small group, we're talking about family, and we're becoming family, and, and, and every one of us has some kind of jacked up somebody in our family. And so we're, we're just trying to be another family member for our small group. And we can worship here, and, and we can have teaching and singing, and we can worship in a crowd, but you cannot fellowship and get to know somebody in a crowd. That only happens in a small group, and those are holy times that are happening. I don't know how holy it's going to be tonight because we're having Super Bowl parties. It'll only be holy if the Broncos win. Um, the other way, it's from hell. It's straight from hell. Um, <laughs> one of the greatest marks of, of spiritual maturity is when there's a short time between when you, when you commit a sin and when you confess that sin. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect we're not. We're going to mess up. You need to shorten the time between when you commit a sin and when you confess a sin, and then you need to lengthen the time between sins. If you do that, you're growing in the spiritual life. You're maturing. Mature people admit their sins. They don't hold on to them because that's what torture is in your soul. And, and so you've got you've to confess to God and you've got to confess to people. And, and some of you are going to say, you mean I'm supposed to tell everybody what I did? Hey, Facebook, I committed adultery. Pray for me. You need to confess less on Facebook. Let's just get that out there. I read through Facebook and, and I just go, 
How dumb are you to put that out there? Nobody in here, though. Nobody in here is dumb. I'm talking about those people out there in those other churches. <laughs> no, you need to find somebody you can trust that you can share your heart with because you don't realize Satan has a hook in your soul when you have unconfessed sin and he drags you around. And the only way to get rid of it is to open up and be honest about your sin. So you confess to God, you confess to others, and you tell your soul, Satan is a liar. He tells me that people don't want to know. I need to tell people so that I can, um, I can be healed. He wants me to be defeated and alone. God's word is the truth. Obey and experience God's blessing. You say to your soul, it's better to confess my sin than hide my sin. He who, who conceals his sin doesn't prosper, but whoever confesses receives mercy and grace. You tell your soul that, and then you tell your soul, Christ will set me free. Hey, soul, you don't have to be tortured anymore. You can be free. Satan says you'll always be this way. He's a what? Liar. Soul, greater is the one who is in me than he that is in the world. Hey, soul, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, is what the scripture says. Hey, soul, if Christ sets you free, you will be free indeed. You do not have to be tortured by your secret sin anymore. Oh, but I'll never get out. I'll never get out. This is just the way I am. And then some people say, it's too painful to get out. Well... Look what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is, what is God? Faithful. Even when we're faithful, faithless, he's faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. God always provides a way out. Sometimes it's strength just to stand with somebody else helping you stand. But a lot of times there is a way out. You just don't want a way out. You stay there until you give in. It's like, you know, if you got some chocolate cake in the fridge. If I got ice cream in the fridge, it's going to be eaten. I don't care if I'm on a diet or not. There's ice cream in the fridge. I'm going to stand there and look at it till I justify and I'm going to eat it, right? Some of you don't want to get away from temptation. That's why you keep giving in. You need to move away from it. God's going to give you a way out. You feel trapped. You feel helpless. You feel tortured. I can't get out. There's always a way out. Um, how many of you remember some of the, some of the really good uh, arcade games of the past? I'm talking like Frogger, Donkey Kong, Pac-Man. Remember that? Dude, I spent so much money on Pac-Man. Uh, we, we ever, Galaga, y'all anybody do Galaga? Um, what else did I put down here? Space Invaders. Okay, this is one, this is one, somebody said it. Who said that? Check, check this out. This is, this was one of the, 1979 asteroids came out. There was one place in Borger, Texas. There was this little gas station on the other side of town. We couldn't, we couldn't drive. I was in ninth grade. We would walk. We would get our parents to drive us over there so we could throw quarters in to play this piece of trash. Look at that. It's this little spaceship and the little dots coming out. You try to shoot the other spaceship when he goes by. But see the boulders? Those are the asteroids. And the problem is when you shoot them, it goes do 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 And you would shoot them and then they break up. And, and so they would come at you, and you had this thruster, and you'd push the thruster, and you'd go, not kidding, you'd go, it, it would take you that long. So if you don't see the boulder coming up behind you, you're going to get smacked, and you're going to lose your money. But there was one button in the middle of that game. Praise God for this button. If you ever played this game, this is when, this is when video games were anointed by the Lord, by the way. They're, they're satanic now. Um, <laughs> But back then, if you're young enough to know what I'm talking about, there was a button in the middle of this arcade game, 
And what was it called? Hyperspace! John Colander wins the prize. The only other one old enough to know what I'm talking about. Um, there was this thing called hyperspace. And so if the boulder's coming up behind you and you're about to be smacked, you could push it. You disappear and you come back somewhere else. It's the greatest thing ever. Except sometimes it would come right back in front of a boulder. But that was the, that was the chance you took. Now, when you face temptation as a Christian, there's not a button called hyperspace where you're, you're gone from one place and you're gone. We would like that and we see movies about that. But there's something called, and this is cheesy, hyper grace. You can laugh, it's all right. If you remember it, I don't care how cheesy it is if you remember it. Here's, here's the thing. God has said he will give you his power. What's his power? His is the power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Death was the greatest um, enemy that we ever face. God has power over death. Moses stood at the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea. Joshua stood at the Jordan River. God dried up the Jordan River for 18 miles. There's this button called hyper grace that you can push and God will give you the ability either to endure it, he'll send somebody along to stand beside you. Because let me, let me ask you this. If, if, you were, if you were facing whatever your greatest temptation is, and we won't share that here, um, that's for small group, but let's say that you're facing your greatest temptation and you're about to give in to whatever your greatest temptation is and I, or let's get an angel, let's get somebody better than me, an angel shows up and says, for each minute you withstand that temptation, I'll give you a $100 bill. How many of you think you could go 10 minutes longer? How many of you go, dude, just keep on handing them out, Right? <laughs> Sometimes we don't want to be freed from that temptation. Sometimes we're, we're staying too close to it. But if you want God's power, he says it's available to those who call out to him. So you've got to do that. And we're going to do it in just a second. Asteroids, man, that was a good game. Hyper grace. I'm going to ask you what that was, what that button was. What was it? Well, yeah, the, in, on the game it was space. In Christian life it's what? All right, there's going to be a test next week. In the kingdom of God, you have power, and it just matters whether you access that power. So some of you have a choice that you've got to make right now. Are you going to continue to be tortured? Or are you going to find somebody that you can trust, and, and are you going to open up and confess and be freed? The door is there. You don't have to be trapped, but you're choosing to stay trapped. I'm going to read you a scripture and, and then we're going to have just a, a, a moment of silence where you can detox. We're doing this every week in this, in this series. And I want to read you what Scripture says before we do that. Um, 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25 says, He, Jesus, personally carried our sins in His body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By His wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd. I love this phrase, the guardian of your what? If you don't want to be tortured, you need to go to your guardian, the great shepherd who loved you enough to die for you and say, I'm going to confess to you for forgiveness of sins and I, I don't like it, but I'm going, to, I'm going to obey scripture and I'm going to confess to someone else because you said that's what I have to do to be healed. Will you just bow your heads for a moment? Whatever business you need to do with God right now, if there's some secret sin you need to confess, do it. 
And if you're afraid to talk to somebody, I pray that you will get the courage to obey God. Just take a few moments of silence. That's all right. We like baby noises. That's baby Giselle. Father, I love these people. Some of the most real people I've ever met in my life. Some of the most courageous people I've ever met in my life. And it is an honor for me to be a part of a church family like this. But God, we know you're not done with us. As we talked about in our leaders' breakfast this morning, we are just beginning to accomplish what you want us to accomplish. So God, help us to be radically obedient to your word. Help us to to trust what you say. And when we're obedient, we know, God, I know, I've experienced it over and over in my life, the blessing that only comes after we obey. Make these people radically obedient. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.